and young. Welcome to I Made a Huge Mistake, an Arrested Development podcast. I am your host, Darren. Uh, today, I'm joined by two guests. First of all, I have Alison Betmeans from Front Row Movie Review Podcast. Hello, Alison. And I have Tim Stevens, who is a freelance writer for Marvel.com, which sounds very fancy. Hello, Tim. Anyang, how are you? And today, we're going to be reviewing uh, episode 17 of season two, the penultimate episode of season two, uh, Spring Breakout. It was first broadcast on the 10th of April, 2005. Uh, it was written by Barbie Adler and Abraham Higginbotham, both of whom we've talked about a number of times. Uh, this is the final episode that either of them wrote for the show um, before they left. A- Abraham Higginbotham uh, also made appearances on the show as Gary, um, who had to sit on Job's lap a couple of times. Um, and it was directed by Anthony Russo uh, of the Russo Brothers. This is the final episode that he uh, directed for the show. Um, Meet the Veals was Joe's final episode, so that was a, a few episodes ago. Uh, obviously, the Russo Brothers directed the pilot. Um, after this, I, ha- I think they were directing um, Community next. I think there's a couple of years where mm-hmm. they did yeah. Me, You and Dupree and then they went on to do Community. <laughs> and given that I, the, like, the next film that they're directing is um, like Infinity War or... Yeah, so like, it just seems... I don't know. <laughs> if I was the Russo brothers, I would have no idea what is going on. I would be like, how did we get from <laughs> like, directing the pilot of Arrested Development to directing, you know, like, these huge billion-dollar films. So we've spoken about both Anthony and Joe a number of times, but uh, I just thought it would be nice to note that this is the final episode. For everyone involved, uh, Barbie Adler went on to work with Will Arnett again on um, Up All Night, Mm. um, that sitcom that lasted, like, a a season and a half. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so... um, her, her career, I, I think she's, she's a, I can't remember what she's currently writing on, I'm sure I've seen her name on some credits somewhere. Um, so, and obviously Abraham uh, Higginbotham went on to write for Will and Grace for a number of seasons. Yeah. I'm going to read the summary uh, for the episode, which is as follows. Michael tricks Lucille into entering a rehab centre, only to break out to ward off a blackmail attempt by George's ex-secretary. And I, I, I think that's a kind, a nice summation of the main plot. There is a couple of little things off that, and there's a. This is probably one of the more well-known meta jokes that the show does when they feature scandal makers, <laughs> um, and it's and it's notoriously poor narration. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know why they decided to do that this far into the show, but. It, I thought it was just an interesting thing for them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get into the show, uh, as it's Tim's first episode, Alison, of course, uh, listeners will remember all the way back way from um, from uh, episode three of season one, I yeah, think. Yeah, bringing up Buster. Bringing up Buster, yeah. So, um, um, but Tim, this is your first... <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a very Buster-heavy episode either. There's just a little bit of business with him and the Roomba, but... <laughs> so Tim, I'm going to ask you uh, when did you first come to the show? Did you watch it when it was airing or did you catch it later on DVD or did you only just start watching it last week? No, no, I actually caught it uh starting with about episode 4 when it was originally airing. Uh I had a friend who had watched it from the start and said that I would really enjoy it, so I checked it out and uh 4 was my first episode. And then did you did you buy the DVDs and Uh yeah, I have the DVDs um, now. I um I am loaded for bear when it comes to Arrested Development at this point. <laughs> uh, I was hooked from the moment of the first episode I watched. It's funny because I've said this a couple of times, but 
it seems like if people didn't get into it when it was on the air, then they would inevitably meet someone at college who had all the DVDs. Right. Yep. Or they would be that, or they would be the person at college who had the DVDs and, and made everyone watch it. Yep. Seems to have been kind of in the early two thousands um, or mid two thousands. Whenever you were at college, there just seems to be someone who always had the DVDs for Arrested Development. Oh yeah. yeah. I feel like it was the Frampton Comes Alive of uh, of this generation. Um, so that's such a. That's such an odd reference. It's a really um, strange touch point. <laughs> <laughs> and I only, I only know about Frampton Comes Alive from uh, Wayne's World One. So um, I've, I've never heard it myself. Uh, so let's get into, <laughs> let's get into the plot of the episode. Then we start actually by meeting um, a one-off character who, who, who's just in this episode and who. Ha- Jason Bateman does some really kind of fun, awkward acting um, with Dick Van Patten, mm. who is playing um, Cal Cullen, who apparently is um, uh, like an investor in the Bluth Company. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't know much about Dick Van Patten. I, I vaguely remember him being in um, Spaceballs and um, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Um, but other than that, I don't really know much about him. So I'm guessing for Americans, maybe this was more of a kind of notable guest appearance. I mean, were either of you familiar with Dick Van Patten? He was, he's a recognizable face that had kicked around television for a while. Yeah, he's one of those guys that's been in everything for like right. two episodes, you know. And his big series is It Is Enough, which is a show I don't know that I've ever actually watched, but... I'm certainly aware of, um, and from there, like like Allison was saying, he showed up on everything for, you know, an episode or two or three. He made three appearances on the Love Boat, for instance. Everyone was on the Love Boat, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interestingly enough, um, one of the composers for the music of Eight Is Enough was Alexander Courage, who did the original theme for Star Trek. Oh. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, that's that seems like an odd thing to know, but. Uh, there you go. Uh, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I guess. Uh, I mean, he's dead now, unfortunately. Uh, mm-hmm. I say unfortunately. He lived to eighty-six. It's not like he. Right. He had a very full life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I do like what he does here with this character because it, it's kind of like a very moral character, mm-hmm. uh, and I just don't know why anyone with any morals would invest in the people. <laughs> <laughs> This this far in. And the thing is, um, you know, Cal Cullen actually says, you know... Well, your family did not come off well on last night's Scandal Makers. Uh, which, of course, introduces the joke of Scandal Makers. And the narrator explains to us that Scandal Makers was a show that reenacted headline-grabbing stories. The latest was about the Bluth family, the rights of which had been signed away by Tobias in exchange for the part of George Sr. Um... <laughs> And this starts a, 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 an episode-long joke of the narrator um, berating the narrator on Scandal Makers <laughs> for his poor narration. Um, and, and talking about an inattention to detail. And it's, uh, Ron Howard actually like, plays the narrator for this episode as like very angry. Uh, and it's unusual because normally he's kind of just a... Co- like, he occasionally comments on stuff. Uh, you know, as with the kind of the OP remark right. um, in one of the episodes. But most of the times the narrator is kind of very even. So it's quite interesting to, s- to kind of hear Ron Howard getting so <laughs> kind of angry in the role of the narrator. 
I like the idea that not even the narrator of Arrested Development is entirely sane. You know, that everybody who's connected to the show eventually gets <laughs> sort of infected by the madness that surrounds the Bluths, and this was the evidence of that. And I, I like as well here that um, throughout the season, obviously, George Sr.'s been confined to the attic. <laughs> uh, this is one of the rare episodes where he gets out of the attic. Um, actually, he's like he's kind of very passive in this episode. He, even though he gets kind of like kidnapped and then saved, he's not really doing that much. But I like that you know Tobias. He says the line. Perhaps an attic shall I seek. This is then the big clue that tips off a number of people who hadn't known about George Senior's existence because. Up until this episode, it's only really Michael and um, Tobias, and in, in the last couple of episodes, Job, know that he's in the attic. So for most of the season, the rest of the family just haven't known. Uh, and I, I think we actually get to the end of the, the next episode that we cover, which obviously is the finale. We get to the end of that without, you know, most of the rest of the Funkes even realising he was in the house. Um, and I don't think Buster even ever finds out that he was in the attic. Like... It's it's curious that in this episode only Lucille and Kitty figure out that that kind of obvious line from Scandal Makers <laughs> was giving away the location, and I don't even know how that kind of got in the script. Obviously, Tobias knows that that George Senior is in the um, the attic, and if you remember the episode where you know the Burger King tie in and um, and all that was was showing us the kind of behind the scenes of Scandal Makers. Um, Tobias was only given lines because he kept giving notes to Dave Attell. Um, so I think it's funny. It's funny that the suggestion is maybe that these lines were added by Tobias when he was given lines, and all he did was just basically give away the location of George Senior. But nobody from law enforcement, you know, has paid any attention to it. So it's not like you know the uh, you know Wayne Jarvis is suddenly in the attic trying to look for George Senior. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think speaks kind of to the incompetence of the uh, of whoever is investigating the blues at this particular time. But yeah, I I and obviously Lucille enters the scene, and we we find out that the narrator lets us know that um, as it turns out, she had gotten up early and had taken pain medication because of a hangover related headache. However, she mistook the drowsy eye alcohol warning for a winking eye alcohol suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, this gives this gives uh, Jessica Walters the chance to do that that wonderful wink again yeah. as she winks at the bottle so before good. she takes some pills. <laughs> and they uh, call and, it back in a little uh, cutscene later, like in a little aside with the uh, hair growth stuff with uh, George Senior. He also winks at the yeah. bottle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It seems that the, the blues like winking, but they're just not very good at it, uh, or at least just whenever like they do it, noises. they look a bit creepy. Right. <laughs> Which also yeah. shows up this episode. Uh, yes. Uh, the funny thing is, of course, is the narrator lets us know that Lucille decided not to drive to the meeting, but only after she had already kind of crashed the car into something. <laughs> I like how she's kind of just sitting there and she just says, I'll call for a car. And it's it's kind of like, well, it's, it's a little too late um, to do that. Um, and, and then, of, of course, Cal Cullen, you know, he doesn't want to do business because he doesn't want to end up on Scandal Makers. Um, and this is where Lucille says that he's a big chicken and she debuts her uh, chicken impression when she starts going and I've got to say out, so far out of the chicken impressions we've had 
I think hers is kind of the closest to what a chicken sounds like, but again. <laughs> but it sounds like she's like cooing at a baby. She's going like yeah. a <laughs> <laughs> If someone had a really adorable chicken baby. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I like as, uh, as well that, you know, when Cal Cullen is like, are you drunk? And she's like, I'd have to get up pretty early to be drunk by now. Like, <laughs> in this episode, Lucille's kind of knowledge of alcohol is kind of one of the main, like, themes. Mm-hmm. Like, she seems to be very knowledgeable, except for this kind of mix-up with the pills, which, of course, we find out were not actually her pills anyway. Um... <laughs> Uh, she seems to be very adept uh, with alcohol, uh, which is, is kind of interesting because that obviously plays an important point once we, we actually get to the, the showdown at Senior Tadpoles later on in the episode. <laughs> and, of course, this leads us to a flashback, um, you know, because uh, Lindsay doesn't want to do an intervention. You know, Michael feels that the uh, the drinking has got so bad. <laughs> I like I like how Lindsay says, um, before we see the flashback, she says, last time I felt terrible for a week. Uh, the implication being, of course, that, you know, she wasn't happy with confronting her mother or something like that. But then we actually find out that one year earlier when they'd had the intervention, they basically all started drinking. And by the time <laughs> Lucille showed up, all completely drunk. And so, you know, the reason that Lindsay felt bad for a week was because of how much they all drank, basically. That scene is delightful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think as well, because obviously um, Tobias is dancing around in his cut-offs, mm-hmm. um, and, and this is where we get to see Buster with both hands again, playing right. the piano, but not actually playing anything, just kind of randomly hitting keys. And Michael is wearing Franklin's hair. Oh, that's whose hair it was. I couldn't figure it's out who that was. It's Franklin the puppet's hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love yeah, that moment because he's so matter of fact about it. He doesn't call attention to it at all. He's just wearing it. He's just <laughs> like you do. <laughs> Got some puppet hair on. Uh, and then, of course, the narrator describes it by saying, It turned into one of the Bluth family's better parts. Uh, which I just love. I <laughs> love the fact that they got completely drunk at what was meant to be an intervention, and that's how they uh, they enjoyed the party. It's also one of their better parties, despite the fact that the last moments of the scene are Tobias and, and Buster both crying as Buster continues to play the piano. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then obviously, you know, they, this is where they decide to send Lucille into rehab. And I think, um, you know, aside from, um, you know, the stuff to do with uh, George being kidnapped and rescued, uh, the rehab stuff is kind of the main uh, plot to the episode. Um, uh, uh, but in between, we get the return uh, because it's spring break, obviously, uh, you know, which is for some reason on the show is treated like a holiday, like Christmas or Easter. Um, and Job even says, you know, like uh, uh, that he can't help with, um, with getting Lucille into rehab because he was going to be busy for the holidays. But of course Job would think that it was a real holiday for anyone outside of school. Of course Job would think that. Of course they would. In the of course the previous year when they had the whole spring break stuff, which was where Kitty's um, you know, new breasts debuted. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um uh, Lindsay wanted to take the day off for spring break and you know, Michael said, Well we're not orthodox. <laughs> 
So obviously everyone in the family seems to think the spring break is a holiday, but of course the Blues are not are not known for working. Uh, and we we get a call back to the you know the 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 trick where Job made the boat disappear. Obviously he just blew it up. Um, and we find out <laughs> we find out that um, Job had one or two flubs on the girls with low self esteem video. Um, now I have to. S- Obviously, Girls with Low Self-Esteem is mirroring Girls Gone Wild. Uh, I'm not intimately familiar with that series, but I don't know if they have many, like, magician acts on the DVDs. I think it's just boobs. <laughs> yeah, I imagine not. I can't imagine that they take the time to show an entire magic show on one of those, but you never right. know. Right. <laughs> I-, I feel like they have one very specific goal, and it's boobs. <laughs> <laughs> and now we get the... I, I, I can't remember the name of the guy who founded uh, Girls Gone Wild. He obviously is a bit of a notorious character himself. I have a feeling he's in prison, or he at least he went to was prison. in some legal trouble um, for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, a long time, you know, obviously when this episode went out, he wasn't in legal trouble. Um, but I feel that Philip Litt, who obviously is the, the owner of um, uh, Girls with Low Self-Esteem, um, is meant to be a parody of his character, but obviously I don't feel like there's very much character to Philip Litt. Uh, you know, like he he just kind of holds the camera and <laughs> says, you know, you have breasts, we have hats. Um, you know, and I don't know how that works as a thing, but I, you know, um, I, I I like that we see you know Job signing the release, and even during the release, he accidentally kills a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is there a bird hospital? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I just, I, I just love, and I, I like, I like as well that Philip Litt is recording the signing of the release. <laughs> it's just such a weird thing to record, but I guess, I guess he's very careful about being, you know, people being litigious or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so we get the introduction here of Philip Lit, played by Zach Braff, who... Yeah, so it's nice to say... It's weird, because I think Zach Braff, due to Garden State and various other things, um, like, you know, a Kickstarter campaign, has kind of been tainted a little bit. Mm. But I think I think he's a fun actor, and I think, you know, he, he has a natural presence. And, uh, you know, I always really enjoyed him on Scrubs. Um, I'm sure everyone loves his relationship with uh, Donald Faison uh, of Clueless fame. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both on the show and in real life. Um, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't get much to do here apart from kind of bring up some running gags. Uh, but I think he, you know, he does okay in this, in this episode. Um, and of course, um, <laughs> Tobias is even, even when he gets a job, even when he finally <laughs> got a job that had some kind of exposure, um, <laughs> he gets reviewed <laughs> And the last time he was reviewed was um, when he did the play. Mm. And I remember him kind of crying over how he, he didn't do the play to please... Uh, I can't remember her name, but she was just like a senior, basically. Yeah. <laughs> she made him cry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, On my last and episode. Her... Hey. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there you go. Um, and... And here we here we have Tobias getting another terrible review, uh, where where he says, "If this is who George Senior is, let's hope he remains missing." Uh, and of course, they loved Dave Attell's risky choice of wearing cutoffs. Um, 
And of course, this is where the narrator takes his kind of like his second shot at the scandal makers narrator by saying Mr. Attell was portraying Tobias's actual never nude affliction but this perplexed the scandal makers audience due to the unfocused <laughs> nature of the narrator's explanation I like as well that Job just answers by going no I think mine's worse <laughs> <laughs> I also like that Tobias emerges from the fireplace to start that scene like he's actually there the whole time yeah. and then he comes out of the fireplace he does this a couple of times in this episode, and I don't think it's ever explained. No, it never is. Yes. Just He's there. just in fireplaces. Why yeah. not? <laughs> I think, I think actually, along with the narrator taking a shot at the narrator of Scandal Makers, there is a bit of a meta joke that there is stuff like that in this episode that the narrator doesn't bother to explain because he's mostly focused on attacking the narrator of scandal makers so obviously tobias emerges from the fireplace just as the narrator is talking about the the shoddy narration um and he never bothers to explain it uh and there are a couple of other things throughout the episode where that happens where something is happening and the narrator is taking a shot at scandal makers Mm. and something on screen doesn't get any explanation um, so yeah, I just like it is such a stupid joke. <laughs> I do like that he, he just does it. I don't know why he's in the. I don't know why he's in there, but he just does it a few times. It's just... um, and and the second time is probably one of my favourite deliveries of a line by David Cross. Uh, but we'll get to that later because I, I we really have to kind of get into that line when he delivers it because I just love it so much. Um, and obviously, you know, maybe is still working at the movie studio for some reason. Um, and the the old man in the sea, which was the original um, book report that she had someone write, has now turned into the young man on the beach, um, <laughs> which I I love. Um, and and I like again here we get you know um, we don't actually get a marry me in this, but we do get a variation on the joke about maybe's age, where she says, "Do you think I look college aged?" Um, which, you know, I, I, I just, I just love how, um, kind of this, this joke, it, it's, it's like no one can really see that maybe is like a very young teenager. Everyone keeps thinking she's older for some reason. Or they're um, just terrified to mention anything about it, lest they be right. wrong. I guess, yeah, I guess there's an element of embarrassment that she's kind of playing off. And then of, of course, this is where we get the return of Mort Myers, Jeff Garland, obviously, uh, you know, wonderful in a number of different shows, but uh, his role here is only very small in this episode. I think it's just this scene um, where he, he sends maybe down to the boardwalk for spring break to talk to teen boys <laughs> to find out what dialogue they can give to the film. Um, and, and of course, you know, Mort Myers, in reply to the college age thing, says, uh, I'm not drunk, but I'm willing to be, hint. <laughs> maybe goes, oh, Mort, you're going to be so easy to blackmail, hint. Um, and he's asked her he's asked her out for drinks before and last time she said why don't we ask your wife and that put an end to it so I like that maybe kind of has the upper hand on Mort Myers in almost every exchange (laughs) they have (laughs) this is where uh, Lindsay you know she she says that Philip Lip Philip Lit it's an outrage that he's just out there asking girls to take off their tops and this is where we get some nice interaction between Lindsay and Joe (laughs) as Joe says you're jealous you're a surfboard and then as he keeps talking, uh, Lindsay just kind of punches him in the chest and it forces 
um, the lighter fluid to just squirt out of him. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a good job he never has like a working flint, otherwise everything would be up in flames because he just keeps he just keeps losing lighter fluid left and right in this scene. And and I like how Michael frames it as: Can we stop worrying about girls with low self esteem and start focus on sobering up the woman who gave us ours? Um, Job, I like how this conversation is going on, and Job goes, "May I make a suggestion?" Obviously, you're thinking he's going to make a suggestion about how to get Lucille into uh, rehab, and he, he looks straight at Lindsay and says, "Get in, plats," <laughs> and then he gets hit again, um, which you know is well deserved. Um, and, and of course, Michael, the the company were going to have like um, a spa day. Um, I don't know how. I mean, they're a company that build houses. I don't know how you meant to win a spa day with them. It was like a, unless you like a random giveaway thing. It's like how radio stations will do like a cruise giveaway sometimes. It, mm-hmm. It's just a yeah. marketing thing. I mean, I wasn't fully understanding it, but then it doesn't really matter because it's just a way <laughs> right. for Michael to trick his brother. So, but I like that he brings the promotional board all the way in and gives it to her as if that's how, that's how she has to claim it is with this, it's like the gigantic checks, you know, uh, that maybe was trying to get earlier in the season. It's just, it's such a, an impractical way to do it. But um, I also like how excited she is to get it, despite not knowing exactly what it is at first. Right. <laughs> She's just like, I want it. I want the prize. <laughs> yeah um and i i like as well how michael kind of uh you know because at the end of the previous scene lucille basically just kind of passed out on the desk um and i like how michael explains that he didn't wake her up to tell her that she won the prize then because he says if i bring her around now she might vomit on the overhead projector let's just wait till she's crawling around on her own <laughs> so let's not even wait until she's standing up let's just wait until she's just like ambulatory in any way basically um <laughs> And I do like when she says, I don't think I was supposed to drink with my medication. And the narrator says, it wasn't even her medication. And we get to see that it's actually Buster. And I didn't see what the actual medication was for. Because um, it's just like a very quick shot. Um, and I, so I don't know why Buster is taking medication. Or what the purpose of the medication is. Although it does strike me that Lucille is the kind of mother who would just... If she found some medication that would kind of calm Buster down or control him in some way, she would just keep giving it to him and not explain what it's right. for, and, and just kind of you know keep getting it refilled. Uh, and then, of course, uh, this is—I mean, I, this this line sets up something later on where Lucille says she can't take Oscar um, because his only remaining pair of pants blew apart the other day. <laughs> um, which actually follows on from something earlier in the season where Lucille said that um, she, you know, the he had two pairs of pants and she washed one and it sprouted so she threw them out. Um, and Oscar actually says that puts a lot of pressure on this pair. <laughs> um, so here we are at the end of the season and now Oscar owns no pairs of pants, basically. Um <laughs> Given given that um, in Afternoon Delight, uh, Job kept trying to, you know, put on his father's pants, you would think Oscar could have just had some of those. <laughs> he could have just had some of George's clothes. Like, they're the exact same, as we'll find it out in the next episode. You know, they pretty much could just wear each other's clothes. Uh, and, of course, um, you know, <laughs> this is where we find out that Buster is going to be left alone. 
Um, uh, and he he says he says I'm not exactly equipped to run this place by myself, waving his hook around. Uh, and then of course he sees he sees the robot, and then he just goes, "Have a great trip." Um, oh, I mean, he is half robot. Um, <laughs> it's very rare. Like the show, obviously, you know, when it started out, it has the documentary format. It has the narrator, and occasionally in this episode, we get a couple of hints to the the, the fact that it is a, a documentary, and, and that kind of thing is still going on because at one point the camera gets covered up by a hand. Right. But also when... here, no, no. But also here, we get the security footage showing Lucille going into the spa, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. rather than the the cameras following it, which is a nice thing because obviously we get the four different cameras and we see her trying to escape, and we see like kind of. And and I, I <laughs> like hey, we just kind of hear we've got a runner. Let's go, and it's just like tackle <laughs> her to the ground. <laughs> yeah, but later on, the camera gets covered up when Kitty returns. Um, right, uh, and and obviously in previous episodes they've just blurred it, but but they made the choice this time to actually have like a, a hand come out, and I don't I don't know why they did that, but it's just a nice touch. Uh, they kind of tackled it in a different way. And this is, of course, where Kitty kind of comes up to the attic (laughs) and finds George. Um, And and this is, of course, where she says about, you know, the the attic line. And the narrator says, notice it wasn't something the narrator said. Uh, (laughs) Continuing his his jabs. Uh, Now, now, Kitty says, you know, you abandoned me in Mexico. Um, But, of course, the last time we saw Kitty... She was at the funeral for George Senior, so she thought George Senior was dead. Right. Um, so I, I don't, I wouldn't say abandoned was accurate. I mean, he got arrested and put in Mexican prison, and then had to face his own death. <laughs> like I, I feel like he had bigger concerns than you know what was going on with Kitty. Um, you know. Uh, but yeah, so and of course uh, Judy Greer is great. It's nice to see her back. Yeah, she's so great. Um, she's so underappreciated in general. I think it's funny as well here that she starts saying that she has a cooler of evidence, um, and obviously you know uh, I can't. I think it was the previous. Se- it was the previous spring break episode where we saw a flashback to George and Kitty on the boat. And we saw the cooler that said Saddam Hussein, but in mirror language. <laughs> and he just started, he started kind of banging his head saying these books are so cooked and all that. So it's, it's interesting that this is kind of the first reintroduction of that kind of almost in a year, because um, for most of the season, kind of the Iraq stuff has been quite prominent. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they have the evidence in this cooler, this is the first time it's been mentioned in basically a year. Right. Now, of course, maybe uh, has gone into the banana stand to get some witty banter to authenticate her film. Um, and <laughs> I like how this is obviously towards the end of this episode, we will we will kind of get the reigniting of the the cousins love storyline. Um, but at the, at, for most of the season, because George Michael has been with Anne, there, ha- there hasn't been so much of the, the stuff between him and maybe. So it's kind of interesting that they bring it back here. Uh, and I like, how, um, you know, the, the the guy wants the hot chick to serve him, um, and maybe he's like, "What other words would you use to describe me?" Of <laughs> <laughs> course, George, George Michael kind of steps in with, um, you know, she's my cousin, like as kind of like a defense. I don't know why anyone would care. 
right. that's his cousin. Right. <laughs> well, and actually, the first thing he says is, "You can't touch your cousin." I mean, you can't touch my cousin. <laughs> so he's he's still in that mindset despite himself. <laughs> Throughout the rest of the episode, maybe we'll basically be confined to the banana stand. Um, and the story will just kind of revolve around her kind of trying to get witty banter, um, which to me feels like a bit of a commentary on the fact that, you know, teens have kind of, um, in films, have been known for being extremely kind of like witty Mm -hmm. and kind of fast-talking, and that is sometimes criticised as not realistic. (laughs) So I, I think it's funny that they're trying to say that maybe he's doing this to get some realistic dialogue that would be witty, but obviously, uh, as we find out as the episode goes on, there's not really much wit uh, coming from them. Um, Philip Lett is confronted uh, by, <laughs> by Lindsay. Um, and I like how... Because obviously uh, we, we now have like a second camera because we have the crew for girls with low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And when we get the, um, you know, uh, Philip Litt... Uh, actually... Uh, his, his entire speech is just quite funny, and, and Zach Braff delivers it really well, where he says... Here's the deal. We have hats, you have breasts. You show your breasts, you get a hat, okay? <laughs> and, and I like how he goes... So if anybody wants to get back at Daddy, now's the time! time. <laughs> <laughs> and then, as Lindsay enters, we hear, cut, 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 we got a surfboarding shot, and then the tape that is kind of... Obviously, the cameraman who was filming uh, Girls With Low Self-Esteem, we get a cut from that angle... And then the camera kind of goes off and then we cut back to the actual like arrested development crew. Uh, and so that's like a nice little touch. Um, and then, like how I, I, it's, it's funny because obviously Job is the one who said Lindsay's a surfboard. And so now the actual like girls with low self-esteem are also using that 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 phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I like as well, <laughs> we have Lindsay and she she has some protesters with her. And, um, you know, Philip Litt tries to, to win Lindsay over by giving her a hat. Um, and, and she says she doesn't want a hat. Uh, and then when, when he says that women are going to be idolized, uh, one of the protesters with Lindsay says, I want to be idolized. And of course, <laughs> Lindsay tries to stop her. And she goes, It's easy for you to say you already have a hat. Um, and, I, and I just like that logic of like, Everybody just wants one of these hats. Everybody loves free stuff. Um, <laughs> <that's right. laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, given that a recent president-elect managed to win an election based on hats. Oh, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I I, just think it's interesting that, you know, giving out, giving out hats seems to be persuading people of various things here. <laughs> um, and... Uh, and of course, this is where because uh, now most of the action takes place here on the on the boardwalk as each of the plots kind of intersect, and we get a lot of really kind of clever staging and cutting. As Lindsay says, "There's this is no way to get your daddies to notice you." We quickly <laughs> we quickly zoom out and we see that right behind her, uh, Lindsay's own father failed to notice her as he was being taken to a local motel uh, where he refused Kitty's sexual adv- advances. Um, and that's that's kind of one of a few little kind of cuts that they do while they're out and about that uh, are kind of really really kind of clever. Um, uh, and then of course you know um, this is where George Senior after after Kitty talks about being promised you know power and a child, uh, George of course realizes you never promise crazy a baby. <laughs> uh, 
which of course it, this calls back to a year earlier when George uh, told Michael, "You never fire crazy." At the time, of course, there was debate whether or not Michael had the power to hire or fire Kitty. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I love all the scenes with Tony Hale in this episode. Oh he doesn't. I mean, aside from the aside from a bit of the interaction at the beginning, and then obviously we get into a shouting match later on. Uh, he's mostly kind of alone, and I I love that he puts on the same song that Lucille did from when Gypsy. she was alone. Yeah. <laughs> it's Rose's yeah. turn from Gypsy. Yes, but I, I, it's, it's it's just odd that that seems to be the only record in the house, <laughs> and so that's just like that's, that's kind of Buster's choice to kind of kick back and just to do this. It's great because it's like Mama's going out. <laughs> <laughs> And if I'm correct, it wasn't yeah. Liza Minnelli in Gypsy, so that's sort of a meta joke about the other Lucille as well. I mean, I everybody's been in yes. Gypsy. Yes, and obviously, right, that's, true. that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the narrator tells us because obviously, uh, you know, Buster he loves juice, uh, as yes, we found he out, <laughs> and he he mistakes the emergency stash of wine for a giant juice box. <laughs> uh, and the, the narrator the narrator tells us it is the first taste of alcohol Buster had had since he was nursing. <laughs> um, which actually contra- it actually actually contradicts uh, something that Lucille had said earlier because she'd actually said that she couldn't nurse any of the kids because uh, George Senior uh, enjoyed tweaking her nipples so much. Um, so I mean, I don't know if that contradiction is a deliberate kind of example of shoddy narration, but uh, you can take it that way if you want. <laughs> Um, this is probably one of my I, I mean Cal Cullen is literally only in this episode uh, and I'm sure Dick Van Patten has a large body of work but this this kind of really awkward scene between <laughs> Michael and Dick Van Patten which then reintroduces Kitty oh it's just so much fun because you know he Michael now with his mother in rehab he decides to have Cal Cullen back in and they talk about how Shady Pines is a wonderful facility and he tells he tells Michael that's where they used to film Sugarfoot, and right. of course Michael just kind of making small talk, um, you know he he kind of just goes oh no as if this is something interesting, and of course Cal Cullen asks were you a fan of Sugarfoot, and then Michael's <laughs> like I loved it, and the narrator lets us know Sugarfoot oh, had been off the air twelve years before <laughs> Michael was born. Personally, I don't know if Sugarfoot is a real thing or if it's something the show has made up it, it is uh, real much like it is it yeah it's okay. a, it was a 1957 1961 tv series it's a western yeah <laughs> that's <is> crazy <laughs> um yes well and of course this is where you know uh, cal cullen starts asks michael uh, he says <laughs> he says We'll sing the theme song of Sugarfoot along with me. And I just love, I love how Michael kind of fakes it so effectively where he's singing. He's not even singing the same kind of time. He's not singing the same key. He's just kind of just saying the word Sugarfoot randomly. <laughs> Sugarfoot. Yeah, Sugarfoot. Sugarfoot. Yes. Easy loping cattle. Sugarfoot. Carefree as the tumbleweed. Cal Cullen keeps singing the actual lyrics. Michael just puts a stop to it by going, just cut it up. Oh, and it's 
Jason Bateman kind of does embarrassment and kind of being uncomfortable so well. Yeah. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. just such a, it's such a great scene because Cal Cullen kind of almost believe, like he really believes that Michael is a fan of the show <laughs> and Michael really isn't selling it. So I don't know why he's kind of uh, so easily, you know, uh, kind of bought in. Um, and then, of course, as Michael goes to get the paperwork, this is when Kitty <laughs> returns <laughs> and she decides to uh, jog his memory um, by once again exposing herself. And I love that Cal Cullen, he makes the remark, oh, they're crooked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which, of course, calls back to the fact that... Um, you know, the nipples were not placed uh, kind of, yeah, they kind of pointed in opposite directions. It was, uh, a, a detail, a detail from, um, from, uh, you know, the previous season. Um, and of, of course, a year earlier, um, Kitty was going to go to senior tadpoles to have margaritas made in her mouth. Um, and this time she issues her demand saying that she has kidnapped the, uh, you know, uh, Michael's father uh, and unless unless uh, Lucille meets her at, at four at senior tadpoles, uh, and once again, of course, she yells "spring break," uh, and she's out of there. <laughs> I thought Colin's reaction to her was funny because, as this moral character, he's not particularly outraged that there's this woman in the lobby exposing herself. He is only concerned with the fact that the nipples don't quite line up. So I appreciate that, <laughs> even though he does seem to be the moral center of this of uh, this episode. In fact, he too is just as sort of bizarre as everyone else assembled. Yeah. You know? That amongst the blues, only he could appear to be the moral one. <laughs> right. right. Even yeah. the moral center is not center. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is where Michael realizes that they've got to get Lucille out of rehab. Um, <laughs> even though she's just gone into rehab. Um, and then Michael, you know, needs to get his hands on the evidence. Um, and I... <laughs> this is, of course... I mean, um, Buster, you know, has been found drunk. And so all of the siblings are gathered at Balboa Towers. And I like how quick it, quickly this kind of escalates from Michael figuring out a way to get Lucille out of rehab into Job and Buster shouting at each other. Um, and I kind of, I really like that, um, you know, uh, <laughs> Job says... Well, gee, I didn't think the woman I'd be checking out at spring break would be mom. And then Buster goes... better looking than the whores you date. (laughs) And then, of course, Job saying... Don't call my escorts whores. I just just love that. And then, of course, Buster saying... Mom still got it! Mom still got it! (laughs) (laughs) And then Job... Job replying with... I don't date whores! And then when Lindsay when Lindsay objects to the objectification of of you know women, Michael just goes, "It's just mom and whores." <laughs> right? um, like that's it's okay. <laughs> uh, and of course, this is where Lindsay hits upon the idea for turning the tables, uh, men with low self esteem. Um, and this is where Tobias once again emerges. <laughs> Fireplace. <laughs> That's right. Just sit on his forehead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he's just been rolling around in there. <laughs> yeah. And I just love, I love um, so much David Cross where he comes out, he hits his head and he goes, That is a great social statement. I shall get the video camera 
This is right for parody. This is right. And as he like wonders, he just like kind of wonders off so happy that he's kind of <laughs> thinks that this is a, such a funny kind of original idea. Of course, Buster just undercuts it by saying. He just wants to see boys Linuses. I love that he calls them Linuses. (laughs) Which itself is a callback to the fact that uh, Lucille refers to Buster's testicles as Charlie Brown. Yeah. Um, So (laughs) I don't know why that's the choice they made, but I don't know. It's just it's it's quite funny. But again, Tony Hale is playing a kind of drunk here, and he's he's kind of a wonderful kind of bitter drunk. (laughs) <laughs> kind of imitating a little bit like what Lucille is like when mm. she's drunk. So uh, this is a nice like kind of character detail from Tony Hale. He's got a coconut on his hook. Right. <laughs> and he cocks himself on yeah. the head with respect. it. He eventually brains himself with it. <laughs> Which is yeah. how they get out of the uh, scene without having to never... take him with them. Right. Like he knocks himself out so they can just leave. Yeah. Just leave him. <laughs> uh, now... The scene where Michael goes to retrieve Lucille, um, in the cutscenes, there is actually a longer version of this scene, um, which has a, a like a, a joke that I don't know why they cut it out because I quite thought I thought it was quite funny. Um, Michael enters um, when we when we get the actual scene. Um, you know, it's it's basically about um, you know Michael saying. Uh, you know, he's worried about her and she's saying, you know, I've been drinking since before you were born um, and letting him, letting him know basically that all the children were drunken mistakes. Um, but around that scene, Michael, when he arrived originally, he said, um, you know, you're in this room with all these flowers, these dead flowers, lots of dead flowers. And we've seen numerous faces with all these dead flowers in, and then it's revealed by the narrator, um, who in the cutscene is is the narration is done by Mitch Hurwitz, um, and he says that basically her favorite kind of like um, uh, is it like liquor store? They like deliver all these flowers mm. basically in vodka, um, <laughs> and that's 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 what. And and the thing is, she says something about you know like she taking the flowers out of the vase and drinking the water, <laughs> and it's such a weird joke. And we find out that Lucille is very popular on that particular floor in in the in the the, the kind of clinic because she has all this vodka <laughs> in bases, <laughs> and it's such a I don't know what I mean. I guess they must have cut it for time because it's it's a solid joke. Oh, and you do still see her holding a vase with no flowers in it in during the yeah. dialogue. So right. when you watch it with the cutscene, it makes that weird thing make a lot more sense. Uh, and obviously, this is where Michael explains that. Um, a kit he has got dad and I like that Lucille here you know she reveals that there was a rerun of Scandal Makers last night and everybody figured it out <laughs> I, I think it's funny actually that you know it's that George Senior has been so isolated obviously they've had Oscar so that Jeffrey Tambor hasn't been isolated from the rest of the cast uh, but I think that I always think that was an interesting choice for them to stick him up in the attic for basically <laughs> most of the season and only talk to Michael Um which of course is one of the strongest relationships on the show, but I just again, it's such an odd odd choice for them to make. Um, and then obviously this is where Michael asks her to go to senior tadpoles, and we find out that Job is creating a diversion by bringing Oscar in for rehab. And once again, we cut to the security cameras, and we see you know Oscar asking you know saying I thought we were here to buy pants, and then Job just goes, "Of course you think that you're high as a kite." Um, <laughs> 
And of course, as as Oscar realizes what's going on, he tries to run, and he himself gets tackled once again. Um, uh, and then, of course, we get to the scene between Kitty and Lucille. And this might be, to the best of my memory, the only time that these two characters interact. Um, because most of the time at the office, Lucille wasn't there. And Kitty, you know, when she was actually still being the secretary, um, you know, she was just in the office and she didn't go to the to go Balboa Towers. She didn't really interact with Lucille. So this is the first time that we get to see Judy Greer and Jessica Walters. And if I'm remembering the rest of the show, probably the only time we get to see them together mm. in the scene. Um, and it is one of my, my favorite scenes, uh, just because both of those actresses are so great together. Um, and we, we find out that, that Kitty wants to have a Bluth son. Um, if, if you recall uh, the last time she proposed this, we saw a, um, Lindsay's company, mommy, what will I look like showed uh, the combination of, of Kitty and George senior. And the result was not that attractive, uh, but, no. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Kitty wants a blue sun, um, and we find out that she she that this cooler of evidence um, is is actually George Senior's sperm uh, because he was taking an experimental hair growth drug, <laughs> and we see him um, kind of having the involuntary spasms because <laughs> it, it, this, the drug wreaked havoc on the central nervous system, and I I just love the kind of business that Jeffrey Tambor does as he's just like reading a paper and he's. His other arm just flies above his head and just starts <laughs> waving about. Um, and of course, uh, you know, Lucille lets Kitty know that um, he's not taking the monkey drug anymore, which is a wonderful <laughs> turn of phrase. Uh, and Kitty lets Lucille know that he's not cheating on her anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, is is interesting because for the entire... Cause, you know, obviously in the first season, we know that, that George Sr., as he said in um, Caged Wisdom, he lied and he whored around. <laughs> um, and this season, essentially, Lucille has been having an affair with Oscar for the entire season. Uh, you know, due to due to the evidence of animal noises and uh, Oscar wandering around uh, with with things showing like a butcher shop. Um, <laughs> so I think it's interesting that that George is the one who has decided he's not going to cheat on Lucille uh, and Lucille has essentially been cheating on him for the entire season. So I thought that's all, you know, as far as the season goes, that's a a nice kind of twist on their relationship. Um, And as Lucille finds out, someone in the background yells drinking contest. (laughs) 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 And, and this is where uh, Lucille decides to challenge Kitty to a drinking contest Obviously, all the kind of the jokes about her drinking kind of come to a head here as uh, Lucille basically takes a shot and just says, that one didn't count, uh, which is a nice detail. Obviously, the cutscene in the cutscene, we find out she's been basically drinking vodka all day while mm-hmm. in rehab. Yeah. So she's probably already drunk by the time she gets here. Um, uh, and so they, they, they enter into the drinking contest. And as that is happening, we we find out that um, Michael and Job are meeting very close by. Uh, and Job, <laughs> for some reason, has got the cooler from the banana stand. <laughs> Michael asks, what do we need another cooler for? <laughs> and I like <laughs> I like how Job kind of gets very arrogant here. And he, and obviously he, he refers to Michael as a how do you do that? 
Um, <laughs> and, and talking about, you know, classic bait and switch. It's a decoy cooler. You know, we switch it out. Kitty gets there. She doesn't know anything's gone. And of course, you know, Michael's like, um, but dad's gone. <laughs> I like how Joe doesn't realize what Michael said. And he goes, long gone. <laughs> uh, and of course at this particular point Job says that he's got the self-confidence he's a magician and of course Michael points out that when dad's gone that's the first thing she's going to be looking for uh, and he goes it buys us like one second and of course Job instantly loses all his confidence and says that he's a worthless magician uh, and it's such a it's such a great kind of interaction between the two of them of course um, uh, and you know the one second it's bought is kind of wasted by the fact that Job, uh, you know, needs uh, some kind of time to recover here to catch his breath. Um, <laughs> but I also like as well that you know Michael points out it would have been flawless if you had a decoy dad, and Job of course says, "Damn it, I used a guy who looked just <laughs> like him in my last bit." <laughs> and we, we we cut to Oscar being assaulted. Um, <laughs> which became a recurring theme of the show too was Oscar repeatedly getting assaulted on behalf of the Bluth family especially for being yeah. mistaken uh, for George but right <laughs> uh, once we get back to maybe in the banana stand I like you know because obviously the banana stand is right next to where this motel is everything is happening within <laughs> such a short distance of each other I'm surprised no one runs into each other but I like when maybe says I know what the shape of a banana reminds you of and I know that when I say nuts it makes you giggle uh, to which, of course, this guy giggles straight away and maybe goes, do you have any other responses to here's a banana with nuts? <laughs> um, and, of course, maybe possibly one of the most meta commentaries that the episode has. She says, why are we even going after this idiot demographic? Um, obviously, at, at this particular point, I think the ratings woes of Arrested Development were quite well known. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so I could understand why the writers were probably like, why are we trying to get 18 to 35s? to watch this show. Um, and I like, I like, this is probably my favorite cut in the scene. It's not quite a Gilligan cut, but I like how Michael, George Michael is like, um, they're not even eating these. They just like saying bananas and nuts. And I won't, I won't tell you why that's your father's job. <laughs> and then of course we see Tobias, Tobias saying, come on, let's see some bananas and nuts. <laughs> but yeah, I just, it's it's such a kind of it's such an odd. Obviously, I know why George Michael is saying, but it's such an odd way for them to just like cut to Tobias saying that. Uh, and it's another it's another example of the Bluth and Funke sort of bizarre language that they have amongst themselves. You know, the same thing with Linus's and Charlie Brown's. Like apparently yeah. this is known within the family that this is how you talk about these things, but nobody really does it outside yeah. of them. This is where Tobias and Philip Litt kind of get into a, a kind of a confrontation as Philip Litt tells everyone to get over it. It's nudity just because you're ashamed of your body. And of course, this is where Tobias decides to pants Philip Litt saying, you're, let's see how you feel when you, about what you're packing. And of course, Lindsay <laughs> then says, you're a never nude. And he's, and of course she says, you're asking girls to take their tops off and you can't even be naked. Uh, uh, and of course, this is where we find out that Tobias is back in the cutoff. Yep. Um, and Philip Litt, he says, I didn't see you at the convention. Uh, Tobias, of course, says that he teleconferenced in. 
Uh, and I like I like how Philip Litt says, "Did you get did you, did you get to the seminar on chafing?" Yes. Um, right. Which is, <laughs> and he, he says, "Oh, and like the name of the person who was running it, Doctor Doctor Shonum Vice." Yeah. Um, it's funny actually because obviously a previous time when they were talking about uh, Never Nude not being a condition in the DSM, uh, Tobias, in addition to saying that there are dozens of them. Uh, he notes that um, <laughs> there is a, a German member of parliament um, and he, he actually says the, the German for never nude as well. Uh, so there's this, there's this weird kind of German never nude thing going on. And then, of course, Michael and Job are still trying to find out where, um, you know, George Sr. is, you know. And for some reason, Job decides that, you know, that it's time to give up. He'd rather be on the beach howling at chicks. And he howls, and of course George Senior responds with his wolf call um, <laughs> that he had been doing earlier in the season. Um, and I, I like how, like something that kind of was a bit of a silly joke earlier in the season, is kind of called back here and actually helps resolve the plot a little mm-hmm. bit. Right. Uh, as the, as they find him, um, and of course uh, we get this very rare in the show that we actually get uh, up to this point at least uh, George. Um, uh, Job and Michael all in the same scene, um, and as <laughs> Job, of course, has swallowed a handcuff. For, uh, sorry, swallowed a, a key mm-hmm. just in case. Yeah, he's, he's trying to he's trying to bring it up, and while he's doing that, you know, George says this is disgusting, uh, which of course it is, <laughs> um, and Michael switches out the coolers, and of course, George Senior says. Uh, you know, what does it buy us? Like a second? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, making the, the, the same. And and I think it's funny here because, you know, uh, George Sr., and this is something that will become more obvious in the next season. Um, he, he talks about being a patsy and being set up, and he, he wants the evidence to be out there because it gets him off the hook. Mm-hmm. And so obviously they, you know, they take, uh, they take the evidence uh, with them uh, of course, Joe doesn't bring up uh, the key. First of all, he loses a crown. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which, what? Um, <laughs> you have to be... I don't even understand the mechanics of how that would happen from trying yeah. to make yourself vomit. <laughs> like, those suckers are attached, man. Yeah. That would hurt so bad. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's just a funny gag. But yeah. yeah, that would be very painful to lose a crown like that. Uh, and of course... Uh, we get the conclusion of Maybe and uh, George Michael, um, where George Michael basically kind of uh, tells um, Maybe that, you know, I like how he says, I don't want to ruin your fun, but I hate <laughs> to see guys treat you like this. And I don't, I don't know that Maybe he's having fun, constantly asking people about, you know, trying to get this dialogue, but I think it's an interesting thing. And of course, uh, you know, this is where George Michael says that, um, you know, she she's like this flower, and he, I like how he he corrects himself before he he makes the next statement by saying, "I know it's springtime, but I'd hate to see you get plucked by someone who doesn't even care that you're blossoming." Uh, and of course, this leads to maybe saying, "That's what I've been waiting to hear," uh, and kissing George Michael, and then running away. And then this is where George Michael decides to break up with Anne. I think uh, uh, he just he just kind of calls Anne and, and says that they've got to talk. And the narrator lets us know that uh, George Michael had rediscovered his feelings for his cousin. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, as the drinking contest 
in Senior Tadpoles, which I think is where George Michael and maybe are as well, concludes over the other side of the bar. Uh, the waiter asks, can I get you anything else, ma'am? And of course, Lucille says, no, thanks. I have to get back to rehab. <laughs> <laughs> I love how, like, you know, she just kind of wipes her mouth and leaves. And uh, one of the voices in the back yells, she's in rehab! <laughs> Like, that's a good thing that someone has basically come out of rehab just to enter a drinking competition. <laughs> They're going back. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, it's very rare that that, um, that that Arrested Development does kind of like off-screen business. Generally, if something happens in Arrested Development, you see it happen on screen. Mm-hmm. But I like here where Michael says, that's a hell of a trick you ended up pulling in there, Job. And Job goes, truthfully, that wasn't part of the act. I was actually trying to get it to come out of my mouth. Um, (laughs) uh, Which leaves the audience to kind of figure out exactly where the key did come from. Uh, And I like how Michael's like, that part was very surprising. But I'm talking about you help me, Dad. You know, you helping me uh, with Dad. And I just, I find that quite funny. Um... And then, of course, the narrator tells us that Job has overcome his own low self-esteem. Um, and as as someone makes fun of uh, Job by saying, aren't you that magician who always embarrasses himself? Uh, Job says, not anymore, and then falls into the pool. Um, <laughs> While he shouts, they're laughing with me! Yeah, yeah. Um, I think actually, it's, I mean, the, obviously, uh, Will Arnett does a lovely kind of like pratfall into the pool. Um, it's a nice, I think a lot of the actors on this show are really good at physical comedy. Um, Will Arnett and um, Liza Minnelli being two of the best, basically. Um, and, and I think his fall is really, is kind of really funny. And of course, the narrator tells us that he lost the exonerating evidence, uh, which allows, you know, the plot to continue on. Because obviously, we couldn't have had this resolved. In the next episode, could we? Uh, and then, of course, as the as the story finishes, the narrator then tells us, and that's how you narrate a story, um, which, which is a kind of great oh, end God. to the episode. Uh, now we actually get a callback to uh, Top Banana, as the ending of this episode kind of mirrors the ending of that, uh, where Lucille asks uh, in the on the next, she asks if you got the evidence. Michael says yes, and then Joe ruined it. Uh, but we switched it with the one from the, you know, we switched out the cooler in the banana stand. And of course, uh, Kitty opens the cooler and Lucille tells us that was 250 cc's of your father in the banana stand. Um, which leads Michael to say no touching as he's getting strangled by Lucille. Um, but the funny thing is, of course, is also in the banana stand was $250,000. So, uh, two, 250 somethings are always in the banana stand, apparently. Um, and that's where the episode ends. And it actually doesn't end with the regular music. It ends with a uh, song by David Schwartz, uh, which is, I, to, when I heard it, uh, watching the episode again, I couldn't recall that song. Like, uh, it's not one of the more well-known songs, like, um, you know, Balls in the Air or... Uh, Mother and, Mother and Boy, the, the theme from Mother Boy actually <laughs> plays during this episode right. as uh, as, as um, Buster is kind of looking around the apartment. Because he picks up, um, uh, there's a couple of the magazines there with them on the cover, the Mother Boy yeah. ones that he picks up. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we have the, you know, we have the outro with the, the different music. Um, 
So, is there anything else that we need to cover about this episode, Alison, Tim? I think that's everything I had. I mean, there was a couple of grace notes that just stood out for me, like Jessica Walter's performance in The Drinking Game, when she finds out that uh, George isn't cheating on her. The way she responds to that is a nice bit of work. Uh, She she lets herself be excited for just that second, which is really well done. And uh, Michael's earnestness with fixing the cooler to look like the other cooler like, he's so committed to making yeah. Joe feel better that yeah. he'll actually write Saddam backwards on the cooler. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, um, I think obviously, you know, I've said this many times, uh, certainly in season two, but obviously the order was cut back. And so uh, there would have been, instead of just being one more episode after this, there would have been five more episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like the kind of return of Kitty feels a little bit rushed. Yeah. And like we never, we never really get to see much of Scandal Makers other than a couple of short scenes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if they had had the extra episodes, there would have been a whole episode just about Scandal Makers, and then there would have been a whole episode about Kitty. Mm. Here we kind of get them a bit kind of squished into each other and a bit rushed through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you know, I I I I I feel that season two kind of towards the end certainly gets a bit rushed in terms of some of the storylines, um, but. I mean, just all the stuff with Cal Cullen is just so fun <laughs> because, because because every every time Michael thinks he's made the the space safe for Cal Cullen to be there, someone else has to come in and kind of ruin it. I was gonna say, on the, with you mentioning Scandal Makers, I enjoyed how uh, obviously low budget Scandal Makers is. Like they don't even bother buying a stair car; they just have a ladder on the back <laughs> of the truck for the stair car. <laughs> That's why I would have loved an episode that was more about mm-hmm. just the episode of Scandal Makers as it aired, like the reaction to that. You know, that would have that would have just been something that would have been fun to see. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I feel because they kind of just had to squash it into this episode, we only get tiny hints of kind of what that episode would have been about. Because obviously, you know, the airing of it would have had a reaction in the family, but it's almost as if nobody but Kitty has seen it, <laughs> mm-hmm. and Lucille only sees it because it's on rerun. And like so, so it it kind of feels like it, it's a it's a funny joke, but it doesn't really have any kind of impact um, on the on the actual on most of the family members. Basically, mm-hmm. right? Shady Pines itself is a reference yeah. to the Golden Girls. It's mm. the home that Sophia is in. Oh wow, that's a good reference. Mitch Hurwitz, uh, along with uh, Desperate Housewives creator Mark Cherry. Uh, and a couple of other big kind of showrunners of the kind of more recent kind of last decade, uh, they were all writers on that show. Uh, and uh, Mitch Hurwitz himself actually wrote the last ever episode of, of Golden Palace, the spin-off of The Golden oh Girls. Um, so he, he was responsible for ending the entire Golden Girls franchise. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> so I think it's nice that he just kind of sticks a little reference in. And, of course, the fact that Cal, Cal Cullen already knows the name of it kind of lends a bit more credence to the fact that, you know, obviously older people would already know right. um, the name of that place. It, yeah, and, and he would have some sort of familiarity with this rehab because he's like, right. oh, it's a nice place. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if 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 there's like a, a meta reference because obviously uh, when the the Blues went to Mexico, it was just a backlot. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea that the Shady Pines is where they used to shoot a TV show and essentially it used to be like a backlot, 
might be just a little bit of a kind of inside joke about mm. you know right. California and how and how various places used to be backlots, um, you know, in the fifties and sixties, and obviously have now been repurposed for other things. On the next episode of I've made a huge mistake. Uh, I'll be joined by Kill by Kill podcast host Patrick Hamilton, and we will be talking about the the last episode of season two, uh, which is called Righteous Brothers. So that should give you a hint as to. <laughs> Uh, who it revolves around. Um, although there are a lot of brothers in this show, so uh, and obviously people were unaware of the fact that in other languages they're called other things. Uh, so that should be fun to talk about. Um, otherwise, uh, we should go to plugs, and I'm going to start with uh, Tim. Oh boy. Um, well, you know, about two or three times a week, at least you can find me on marvel.com. And uh, that's your best place to find me, or on Twitter at U-N-G-A-J-J-E. That's at Ungaje. Uh, and anything else I do, you can find right there. So Great stuff. Thanks. And Allison? Uh, you can find me on uh, the Front Row uh, Movie Reviews. We've got new stuff, and we do flashbacks and classics and all the movies, every movie. <laughs> um, so we'll be getting into... Um, Looking at our Oscar uh, Oscars roundups and getting getting all those films checked out. Um, it's usually pretty fun. We do typically do some um, little giveaways and things there, so check us out. It's the Front Row Reviews um, got a nice new website. Check that out. And I am Allison A L L I S O N B Means on Twitter. Well, thanks to both of you for joining me today. Thank, Thank you. you. And otherwise, goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.